Alright preschool parents, welcome back to Raise Ready Kids, where month by month you master the culture building strategies you need to raise kids with the knowledge, skills, character, and purpose they need to thrive. I'm Bill Jackson, founder of Raise Ready Kids and your host this month. Here at Raise Ready Kids, we recognize that most learning happens apart from explicit teaching. Moreover, explicit teaching often fails to produce the learning that teachers hope it will. Your child is always learning by watching and listening to the people and environment around them, whether anyone is teaching or not. And when someone is trying to teach them, they may or may not be tuned in or able to absorb the lesson at that moment in time. This insight helps us to see children's education as much more than schooling, or even our own efforts to teach our children. It helps us to keep our power as parents in perspective. We do not have the power to make our children learn anything. They themselves must do the hard work of learning. We adults can only support and encourage them. Today, we're going to explore the implications of this insight for your preschoolers' social and emotional learning. Your child is on a steep learning curve when it comes to understanding and managing their emotions. Little things sometimes trigger big reactions. They get frustrated because they can't have something they want. They withdraw from play because a friend won't do something they want. Or they are just cranky, cranky, cranky some days. All of this is entirely normal territory for preschoolers. They are at the beginning of a long journey of learning how to recognize, understand, and regulate emotions, a journey that extends well into adulthood. And the truth is, you can't really teach a three-year-old how to manage their emotions. They've got to figure it out on their own. But you can help. A lot. For starters, you can make it easier for your child to deepen their understanding and control of their emotions by listening to them to the point that they feel heard, really heard, which is just as important and beneficial to three and four-year-olds as it is to 30 and 40-year-olds. This truism is at the heart of the parenting advice offered by many of the most influential writers and thinkers in the 21st century. You may have heard of or read The Whole Brain Child, a book by Dr. Dan Siegel and Tina Bryson, or How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk by Adele Faber and Elaine Moslish. Both of these popular parenting books are anchored in the importance of truly listening to your child. Today, I want to provide you with two Raise Ready Kid strategies that will help you get even better than you already are at listening to your child. The first, special time, is a way of spending time with your child that can't but help to make them feel heard. The second, recovery listening, is a simple but effective way to help your child recover from emotional distress. Let's start with special time. Our inspiration for this strategy is a woman named Patty Whipfler, founder of the organization Hand in Hand Parenting. Patty's genius is in turning basic principles of child development into simple yet powerful formulas parents can use to support their children's social emotional growth. The technique she calls special time is a kind of proactive listening that you do when times are good. With special time, you're not trying to fix any problems. You're not trying to react to a meltdown or anything like that. Rather, special time is designed to help fill and refill your child's emotional coping tanks. Unlike normal life, when you and your child are in special time, they run the show. You're going to play or do whatever they want to do, as long as it is safe, even if you really hate that activity. For many of us, this is easier said than done. My daughters are in college now, 
but I remember when one of them was three and she wanted me to play Polly Pockets with her all the time. For those of you not familiar with Polly Pockets, it's a small plastic world created by the toy maker Mattel. Little plastic dolls have all kinds of adventures around the house and on vacation at the beach, at the mall, you name it. My preschool-aged daughter used to let her imagination run wild with these little creatures, and she wanted me to play with her. At the time, sitting on the floor trying to figure out how to fit into my daughter's imaginary world was not my idea of fatherhood. I hate sitting cross-legged on the floor. I'm literally super inflexible, and I was not much interested in the details of the lives of these small plastic characters. Couldn't we just read a book or kick a ball around or chase each other around the house? That was the kind of stuff I liked to do. Truth be told, I think I had the sense that I didn't really owe it to her to play with her exclusively on her terms. Together with my wife, uh, I was already taking care of the roof over her head and the food on the table, and there were lots of things we did together that brought us joy. In retrospect, and knowing everything I know today, I'm sorry that I didn't manage to get down on the floor and play Polly Pockets more often. With the benefit of hindsight, I can see how my calculus was off. Yes, we parents already do a great deal for our children. And no, they do not absolutely need us to play with them on their terms. And yet, when you think about how the world works from the perspective of a three or four-year-old, there's not a lot that they control, really control, in their life, especially when it comes to the behavior of other people. When we follow their lead, we offer them a kind of respect and indulgence they don't often get. So try this. Set a routine, daily if you can, of something like 10 minutes a day where your child runs the show. It's special time, you might announce with exaggerated glee. Your choice. What are we going to do? And then follow their lead as long as it's safe. Do whatever your child wants to do for 10 minutes. No checking your phone. No getting distracted. No subtle efforts to take control and direct the show to your liking. But also, no need to go longer than 10 minutes. It's a two-way deal. You're going to focus on your child and immerse yourself in whatever world they want to invite you into for 10 minutes. And then you're going to depart and head back to normal time. You can do this in the morning, evening, before bed, whatever works. You may enjoy it or you may not. But I wager that even if the activity doesn't exactly thrill you, if you focus on your child and the delight that they are probably feeling, then you're going to find your reward. Your child is likely to love this time together. They may complain that it's over so fast, but it's over when it's over, just as you're 100% in when it's happening. Of course, if you're not into the activity, your child may sense that. But in a way, that may help them appreciate your commitment all the more. Special time is money in the bank for your child's emotional life. They are growing and changing so quickly. To be three or four is to feel crazy strong emotions crashing down on you like a powerful wave. It's hard. Special time is satisfying because it's deeply connecting and they get to be in charge. All right, let's move on to the second strategy, recovery listening. Inspired by the writings of Dan Siegel, Tina Bryson, Patty Whipfler, and others, recovery listening is for when things are going off the rails for your child, when they're having trouble dealing with strong emotions. If special time is about putting money in your child's emotional bank account, money that can be withdrawn on a rainy day, then recovery listening is about supporting your child on those rainy days, helping them learn how to deal with emotional tempests in the moment. 
let's say your child is having a meltdown triggered by something that seems super small, hardly worth all the fuss. Something like their sibling getting to sit in the blue car seat while they have to sit in the white car seat. The littlest thing. It makes no sense. Move close to your child. Establish eye contact if you can. And just listen to them for a moment. Offer a reassuring touch if your child might appreciate that. Take a moment to consider how your child feels. Disappointed, perhaps. And then there may be emotions underneath that disappointment. Envy? Exhaustion? Anger? It's often hard to know, but the very act of wondering will help you tune into your child's emotional frequency. And a little bit of tuning is going to help your child feel listened to. It's going to help them help themselves to recover from the hurt that they are experiencing, no matter what triggered it. Then, acknowledge your child's feelings. Just stick with what's obvious, no need to guess what's beneath the surface. With a gentle voice, say something like, I know you'd like to have the blue car seat. It's hard sometimes when you can't have the things you want. You can leave it at that if you need to move on. But sometimes in these sorts of situations, when you have a little more time, stay with your child while they work through their hurt. Allow your child to express their emotions and do everything you can to make sure they feel heard. As Patty Whipler writes, allowing your child to cry things all the way through is a bit like allowing your child to nap till she wakes. In both crying and napping, the mind is busy doing important internal work. Housekeeping, you could say. Things get tidied up nicely. Energy recharges. When you stay with them all the way through their crying and fussing, you're supporting them in their effort to get their emotions under control. Remember, even if it's not obvious in the moment, they actually do want to grow up. They want to take their place in the world of people who can manage their emotions. It's not pleasant for them to feel the push and pull of emotions run amok. Given a choice, they would no doubt prefer to leave these topsy-turvy times behind and find a calmer place. But remember what we said at the beginning. This is learning that only they can do. Children cannot really be taught how to manage their emotions. They have to figure it out for themselves. When you stay with them, acknowledging their feelings, you're giving them time and space to do just that. When you stay with them until the eruption has run its course, well, then with your support, they've made some progress. You've made the road a little easier for them. Think of your gentle, supportive presence as the metaphorical equivalent of learning to swim with floaties. You can recovery listen when your child cries about a physical injury like a scrape, when they're upset they can't have something, when they're withdrawing out of a sense of fear or uncertainty, when a departure brings tears, and when sibling rivalry erupts into a tantrum. Recovery listening is for when you have time to support them to learn how to rediscover their balance. When you recovery listen, don't try to fix the problem or teach them anything. Don't declare consequences for misbehavior. Don't take their anger or frustration personally. Don't scold your child or give in to them if they are demanding something. Just sit with them, sharing a bit of their pain. Bathe them in your quiet confidence, Whipfler advises. Offer just a few words, making mild, matter-of-fact statements from your heart. Say it with mild, relaxed confidence, as though you were saying, the sky is blue. Listening is what your child needs to heal and recover, Whipfler writes. After the emotion trapped in that knot of feeling pours off, she will literally see things differently. She'll be able to connect. She'll be reasonable again. And she won't be quite so easily triggered in the future. Doesn't that statement basically apply to all of us? 
Few of us can think straight when we're boiling over with emotion. Being listened to is a powerful solve when we've been emotionally triggered. Of course, we can't always do this. Sometimes we have other things to do or we don't have the emotional resources ourselves. All good. Our children don't need us to do this all of the time or even most of the time. But some of the time, if you can do it some of the time, your child will benefit from the sense of care that you communicate just by being there. Of course, neither special time nor recovery listening is a magic bullet. Your child is not likely to instantly recover from upset because you have begun to spend special time with them or because you are recovery listening. That is not the measure of success for these strategies. Rather, the question you should be asking is, am I helping my child help themselves build the capacity to manage their emotions? If your answer is yes, then you can be confident that results will eventually follow. As with all Raise Ready Kids strategies, think of special time and recovery listening as tools in your toolkit to be pulled out and put to use when they might be helpful and kept out of sight when they're not helpful. Maybe your relationship with your child is already filled with all kinds of special time. Maybe you have different ways of helping your child to recover from emotional overload, ones that are already working well for you and your child. By all means, stick with what's working. To be a parent, to care for a child, is to be part of a profound and unique human relationship, to engage in a particular kind of love. The psychologist Alison Gopnik has written, Special time and recovery listening are good strategies because they enhance that love, while simultaneously helping your child develop important social and emotional skills. Mm-hmm.